What's up, boss? Go time. How are you, Mark? Uh, I'm enjoying the last day of delicious fall weather that we have here in Utah before it's supposed to snow tomorrow. Oh, I was on the pickleball court Tuesday night and experienced snow flurries myself. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. And it was. And yeah. and it's 70 today. So we're toying with we're toying with the last of the summer wine, if you will. I don't know if this is an age thing or what, but I feel that the older I get, the more I have a desire to not be surrounded by winter for very much of my life. I, oh. mean, I moved out to Utah largely because of the snow skiing opportunities. And these days, if I could have 75 and sunny every day, I'm not quite willing to give up all my freedom and move to California, but I'm just saying it would be worth something to me. Let me confirm that that is a function of age. Really? <laughs> For sure. That's why all the old people go down south. That's why Miami is loaded with walkers. But it's funny because the things that make me want to, to have good weather are not old age things. It's because I want to go get after it in the, the out of doors, not because I want to sit on the patio and, you know, watch. Well, I think it's a function of not wanting to be bothered with the snow. You feel like the snow hinders you from good times as opposed to facilitating a different kind of good times? Well, as I told you before we started recording, I was preparing for winter earlier this morning before work. And one of the ways I was preparing for winter is I built a little hitting bay in my bonus space so I could ah. practice my golf through the winter. And the long story short is that I now have holes in my drywall <laughs> up there and no hitting bay. Are you supposed to use actual golf balls for this thing or are you supposed to hit like the little the little plastic no, you're balls supposed to use actual golf balls and you're just not supposed to miss the net um <laughs> but, i suppose if you hit it off the toe of your club it kind of misses the whole point you hit enough balls and you're gonna sky one once in a while and yeah then you have titleist three in the embedded into the ceiling okay I got a couple things I'd like to hit before we tackle today's subject. No pun intended. Yeah. One thing is um, we talked uh, last week about headlines, how to read financial headlines. We which did. You can, read a, you can just click right up here if you want to see that episode. Are we doing that now? Where we point and then we hope that there will be a click? Oh, no. I'm so confident how that works. Oh, sweet. Um, there's some financial news that you might not be aware of because you've been on calls for the last couple of hours. Are you aware of a piece of financial news that affects you and I? Is it related to a crypto custodian? It is. Oh no, what happened? Things are moving forward in a wonderful way that the company that failed us and took all of our crypto monies away looks to be being purchased and um, you and I will be voting on this thing. I know how I'm going to vote. You're going to vote. No, I, I want the moral victory. Send them all to jail. Consequences <laughs> be damned. Uh, no, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm doing. Say, give me seventy-two percent of my money, and 
I'll hit the highway and not complain. That's the one. So yeah, that's some... well, I thought that I, I, I saw that that was a possibility yesterday. I yeah. actually sent that that report to quite a few voyage, fellow voyagers. Um, we've been on a long voyage and um, we did not we did not endure like Shackleton on this voyage. I would say we lost a few of our crewmates <laughs> and our Bitcoin. Yes, we did. But uh, maybe we'll make it back 72 percent whole is what it sounds like, right? It sounds, it sounds like an increasing possibility. So our episode, remember that episode we did on how to weather a financial storm, how to take a financial hit? Remember he's that one? For the audio listeners, he's pointing to the sky again, hoping <laughs> the first time ever we'll find out how to do that link click thing. No, no, it's, it's, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know it, but it's happened many times before. Well, if I may change the subject, I just want to throw out you and I said we we made our big Abraham's wallet announcement back in September. And then I made a vow to the people. Now everybody give me grace because for the next few weeks I'm just going to be over and over talking about um that you can donate to Abraham's wallet and and uh going over that. And guess what? We spent about the next 6 weeks um, publishing episodes that have been previously recorded. So we haven't actually visited that subject um, in any detail the way that I assumed that we would when we first made the announcement. So I'm going to take a little moment for the people, for those that might not have heard that episode, and just review for folks that we are now a 501c3 charity slash ministry. So that being the case, um, we can we can accept donations. Uh, we can accept. We uh, can and will, and have. Yes. Um, uh, tax deductible donations, and um, we have a little we have a little plan of sweet and delightful thank yous that we send to our donors, um, and you can see some of those. You can see that a partial list at abrahamswallet.com slash donate. We've had some wonderful families um, who've donated and the fact is we could use more. So what we have asked of people and we've had people be very, very uh, generous in their donations. We've actually had precious few who, who, who took me up on my ask. My ask was, would you be willing to faithfully give us a cup of coffee a month? Would you would you do the subscription model of doing uh, five bucks a month just to help? If you if you have personally received any benefit from this and you want to keep us on the air, if you would, that would be awesome. If we could get you know some minuscule percentage of our listeners to do that, we'd be rocking. Um, and like I said, some people have been very generous, but we haven't had a whole lot of people who just said, yeah, I'll do that. So that is that is our ask. And um, we we're trying to up our game, uh, both on social media. I'm, I'm meeting with a branding guy this week to look at the first round of branding stuff that's been done for us, which will result in um, some fun merch, etc. that's going to be made for us. Anyhow, 
I just have to throw that out that that's where we are right now. We're very grateful for everybody that's participated to this point and we need more people to participate. So I throw yeah. that out. No, that's good. There's been, like you said, there's been some gifts that you texted me right away and went, holy cow, can you believe this? So this isn't to diminish the generosity of people who have given those one-time gifts, but for us to plan and to know, you know, can we bring on somebody that would be a recurring expense to help us, for example, with the social media work or, you know, lots of the stuff that, that we think could make this thing better is one thing, but also just that could make it reach a lot more people. Yeah. Um, it, you know, we just want to be able to plan for that in a way that's responsible. You may not know this listeners, but we're big on stewardship here. So we don't really just look at the uh, money in the bank account and say, well, we can afford it. So let's buy it. We tend to, we tend to be planners. And uh, so that's why we ask, you know, if possible, get on that, uh, that regular role of donators. And if I'm not mistaken, Steve, you spent time yay verily today with a family doing a little one-on-one coaching because they had kind of achieved, they had unlocked status had, at the Abel yes. podcast. Yes. Uh, just, uh, just a family that, uh, that, that love us, God bless them and, uh, was happy to give them time as some of our, it looks like you have a feather that you're waving crazily over on the side, but I know that's not a that's feather. That's a golden doodle tail. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sticking up. She's, she's joining us in studio today and yeah, I don't know. I guess she was lonely. She's not usually. I, in here. I have one final thing I'd like to hit and, and I want, and I'm going to tee you up cause I want you to talk for a, a little bit. Okay. Okay. So since, since the people, since we've been with the people, I know we had a little episode last time, but we have not talked about this. I mean, I know we had an episode last week, but we have not talked about this in that big, like six, seven week window since we made our big announcement. You had a big birthday and I'd love for you to detail for the people what you did for your birthday. Okay. Um, so for my 40th birthday... I wanted to mark the occasion. 40, 40 years. 40 years. I wanted to mark the occasion with some celebratory uh, enjoyment, and fun stuff. And I thought, what if I actually had been listening to John Tyson talk about uh, Sabbath a few months ago. And he, he had talked about pushing hard on the joy button. Uh, on the Sabbath. And I thought, what if I tried to, I don't know, I don't want this to sound, you know, explicit, but push hard on the joy button for a whole week for my 40th birthday. And so I kind of made a list of what are those things that I really like doing and people that I'd like to hang with and made a list. And it involved, you know, rent out a gym and play some pickup basketball um, Steve, you, you were a part of that. So, you know, that I might enjoy basketball and pickleball, for example, I'm not particularly good at either one. Um, so I we, think it speaks well of you that you could enjoy something that you're not a champion at. That's great. Yeah. But we did that. I, uh, we had plans to go to the desert and blow stuff up and shoot big guns, but the weather foiled us on that one. 
Um, we went and ate some really delicious food. There was a smoked brisket involved. There was pretty bird hot chicken sandwiches. Oh yeah, hot chicken. Um, so lots of lots of deliciousness was involved. And then the the culmination of Joy Week was to to go down to Moab and rent a place um, and do a mountain bike ride that I have done annually for the last many years, but the. It turned out was a little bit more spicy than I realized. We think I think we started with ten guys and finished with four. Um, the rest, uh, it's kind of like when you're climbing Mount Everest and you just see the boots sticking out of the snow. They're kind of up in the desert like that. We did we did that ride. It's called the Whole Enchilada. Steve, you you accomplished. You were one of those four that made it. You stood firm to the finish. So can you? Can you give a, a 30 second review of the whole enchilada? Yes. What, what I would tell the people is you probably do want Mark Parrott in your life in some degree. That's something that you probably want. However, um, w- something that has been one off in my life, which has now turned into a pattern. And I think I'm learning is that, if he obligates you to something that is to you a mystery, it will be far more demanding of you than you ever imagined that it would be. <laughs> so um, the the whole enchilada, I, I think, is kind of billed as a six-hour thing. And I know that if you're a really good mountain bike rider, you can go faster. You can make that shorter. But that's kind of what it's billed as, is, is kind of an all-day ride like 10, it's going to take you from like 10 to four to do this. And I went and looked online. Oh, but Mark says you can do the enchilada. But of course, Mark always downplays things that he can do. He's like, oh yeah, anybody can do this. Yeah, you can do it. And what he means is I can do it. So that's no problem. So I went and watched videos about it. And the people that were reviewing them, reviewing the whole enchilada, these are probably mountain bikers who are kind of going, oh, that was a little gnarly patch, but oh, well, that was no problem. And then you see them and they're just kind of trucking along and you've got their little GoPro thing. It looks all relatively navigable. And then I got there and, and in about 20 minutes, I remember, um, I remember one of your buddies was hanging back and he was kind of being like the caboose kind of hurting the little kittens along the back. And I kind of paused and turned to him and said, is it going to be this way the whole way? And he, he kind of gently said to me, it's going to be a lot worse than this. (laughs) I thought, Oh, okay. And so, uh, over the, over the many hours, how long did it take us to do it? It took us five hours and 40 minutes. Okay. So what, so I feel great about beating the six hour thing. Um, yeah. So over the hours, there's a few stops on it, which there's a big red sign that goes, you can get off now. You can, you can go to town from here. You don't have to proceed. And each one of those that we went through, I think we had, as you said, one or two guys ago, it's like, I got it. It's been great. Thank you so much. And, um, I just thought we're going to, force this thing. I don't care if I have to walk the whole way. And I did have to walk much of it because I couldn't possibly make a bicycle do the things that the terrain demanded of me, but we made it. And it was uh, a horrible day all all told. (laughs) No, 
And, uh, but it was, a what was it? It was, a, we, it was an achievement. So I'll say that. And I'm, I was glad that, uh, I was glad that that small group of dudes was able to do that together. So that was, it was kind of a fun, it's kind of a fun achievement. Yeah. Well, I appreciated your presence. So we did that. We ate an enchilada dinner afterwards. We, uh, we played a fun round of golf down in Moab. Um, and that's, that's the, the summary, the takeaway for me in hindsight, if you're, if you're having a big milestone and you're thinking, Hmm, joy week sounds like a good way to mark my, let's say you're turning 30 perhaps, or 60. Um, or maybe you're celebrating a 20th anniversary. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever it is. My takeaway is that it was almost too much compacted into a week where I was redlined on my ability to be excited and looking forward to things. I could have taken all the fun stuff that we packed into one week and spread it out over my 40th year of life. Then you would have had many ups. I would have had something to look forward to almost every single week, probably. You That's know, a great thought. Maybe I'm going to go get some hot chicken on, on a Friday afternoon. And yes. Next week, I'll play basketball with the guys. So um, if I was doing it again, I would have done less concentrated and more uh, diffuse joy. But oh. um, that's not to say it wasn't great. I, I had a good time. And yeah, now I've entered into what you said was the start of my life as a man. That's right. Um, yeah, on that point, I have a birthday coming up and decided to do a little snowmobiling trip with some friends. Uh And I'm glad that it's been moved out. We were going to try to do it um, in December of this year. It's now been moved to February and I'm, I'm kind of excited about that uh, for the, for the time, you know, for, for just the reason that you said, I was going to ask you what your learnings were. So that's good um, to, to space things out. But you, I think you would certainly say you don't, you don't wish that you had minimized the celebration, right? Frankly, gathering people on your birthday, I think is pretty good for the soul. It's easy Mm. when something goes sideways relationally, or you're having a, you know, your small group is not going the way you hoped. And you think, man, I don't even know, like, what my social life really is all about now. And then you get, you, you put out an invitation, Hey, I'd like to celebrate something. Sometimes it feels a little narcissistic even to, right. to have a birthday celebration that I invite people to for me. But if it's not a surprise, then that's usually what you're doing. And um, it's good for your soul. I think to see that usually more people will show up and, and actually be excited to enjoy it, to enjoy it, to even say some kind things than, than you might have realized. So I thought it was refreshing in that sense. It doesn't have to be a week or a weekend away. We sure my wife is significantly older than me. So she, uh, she turned 40 like two months before I did. <laughs> and we, we had a party for her and it was a surprise, but I think like 140 people showed up and 
it just ministered to her. She's like not one for big parties. That's not her favorite thing in the world. But nonetheless, she couldn't help but get emotional when she said, I can't believe this many people wanted to come. So, That's neat. However you do it, whether it's your two closest friends or your 200 kind of favorite acquaintances, um, I think there's something cool about gathering friends once in a while, even if it feels a little like, oh, I'm kind of making myself the center of attention. Yeah. And I would, I would, uh, coach anybody, um, that you shouldn't sort of wait around in the shadows, hoping that your spouse plans your ideal, uh, birthday. You should just make it happen yourself. Sheldon just said, he just said to me recently, whatever you want to have happen for your birthday, you should just plan it, just make it happen. Um, and just to make the point, this cost a few dollars, didn't it, Mark? Yeah. Uh, when you think of Passover, you think of Sukkot, these things actually cost some money, right? We Yeah, we budgeted for, for 40th celebrations at our Gold Summit last year. So we did a big, this is going to be something we put funds towards. That's wonderful. All right. I knew we would go, uh, we would go long on all of that uh, intro. So I don't plan on uh, killing everybody with a lot of uh, content today. I'm, I hope to go short, but what I want to do is cover a subject that we've, we talked about years ago, or I should say we aired an episode years ago, but you and I didn't really get the chance to talk about it, but it's so central to every family. Matter of fact, I would say that this issue of, we're going to talk about children, as you've seen on the title, um, this issue of how you raise your children, it, it will mean that all of the preparation that you've done with money, with values, with a vision statement, uh, whatever you whatever you've done in your home, it'll either mean that it turns to a, a, a beautiful garden of beautiful flowers that produce and produce and expand, or that it all dies after you die. And everything turns to zero, including all of the money, if you don't get this issue right. And it's raising your children, specifically discipling your children. And I think that we can, by default, think as Americans, American Christians, well, if we kind of teach our children to be honest and fair and work hard, I think we're, I think we're there. And I would just like to go way back to foundations and start from the very outset and go, what, what are we doing when it comes to children? For me, if we understand why we're headed, the direction that we're headed, then all of the details kind of fall in line a lot easier. So I'd like to attack the subject of discipling our children. May I? You may. Please proceed. <clears throat> okay. The first thing that I, I want to uh, start with is what are we doing um, as kingdom representatives on earth? Okay, so I'm imagining there's a lot of dads and there's moms listening as well. And the question is, what are we doing here? Are we trying to be the best people that we can be? Are we trying to um, make the most money that we possibly can? Are we trying to, I've heard this one a lot, um, get the most value out of our life or maximize our potential? Is that what we're trying to do? Well, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to use some slides here for the YouTube people. Um, here's something called the great commission, 
which you might have heard of. It was uh, one of the last things Jesus said before he flew the coop from planet Earth. It's at, it's at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, right at the end. And Jesus says, these are some parting words to his guys. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them how to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you in this endeavor always, even to the end of the age. So this is kind of, they call it the Great Commission because it was the, the marching orders of Jesus as, as he, right before he ascends into heaven. If you don't know that part of the story, uh, Jesus didn't die. Well, he did die once, but he, you can't find his body anywhere. You know why? Because he ascended into heaven when his work on earth was done. So let me just ask you, Mark, a couple of follow-up questions about the Great Commission, okay? Number one, what are we supposed to teach people? Uh, how to follow Christ. That's right. What he says is teach them how to obey everything I have commanded. So that's what we're supposed to teach people. This is such a basic thing that I, you know, I grew, you and I both grew up in Baptist churches. They love the Great Commission. I think I had to memorize the Great Commission in third grade RAs. Um, the Great Commission, right? It's a big deal. But we always thought that that meant get everybody to church, uh, tell them the, the, basics of Jesus died on the cross for you. But what Jesus said is teach them how to obey. That's what you need to teach people is how to obey. So let me ask you this follow-up question. Is obedience something that is innately mastered by humans? Mm, no. I've had a few, I've had a few toddlers in my life, and I can tell you that it is not their nature to humbly obey. Correct. They do know how to do a couple of things innately, um, and most of them are not good. So yeah. you, Jesus said, you're going to have to teach people how to do this thing. So I'm going to, forgive me, I'm trying to make a point, so I'm going to reiterate. Is obedience intuited, or is it a learned skill? Learned skill. Correct. And... Now I'm going to ask you something that's that really kind of twists my mind to think of it. Is obedience something that God wants people to learn directly from him? Doesn't sound like it. It sounds like we learn it from each other. That's exactly right. It doesn't sound like that's his plan. Is that he wants to lock someone into a room with a Bible and they come out knowing how to obey God. That's not his plan. He could do that if he wanted to. That's not the plan, according to the Great Commission. He says, I want you to teach people how to obey me. It's interesting because Paul picks up on this and he, he is writing letters where he actually claims in the letters, I am writing the words of God. So he knows and we have evidence that he is writing scripture as he's writing it. And obviously now these are, these are the word of God. And Paul could have said, 
the way to godliness is to read my letters over and over. Mm-hmm. And the the church, like, just read this letter at every church you set up and you'll be good. But he doesn't do that. He sets up um, a system, you know, I'm thinking of Titus 2, where he's talking about older men and older women and the roles and elders and um, and Peter 4, uh, which is not Paul, but... Um, the, the admonition there is teach what accords with sound doctrine. Um, there's, there's a need to actually impart this stuff, even if we have a blueprint for what it looks like. So uh, I don't know. I was listening to a talk this morning as I was driving about this very topic. And it just, it seems like it jives to me that we are designed to need teachers, not just content. Yes. And having kids, I've just sort of noticed that um, you can tell your kid, do you know anybody who really tries to reason through something with their kids? Yes, I do. Does it usually turn out well? Do the kids eventually go, I finally understand your point and I'm with you because you you just were so patient that you took the time until I was able to fully understand and then I could obey. Mark, it does not. Okay, well, then I think continue on your path, but I think that there's evidence that says we need teachers who are going to not just tell us the thing, but actually walk us through the process of bending our souls into compliance with the thing. And that starts out when we're small humans. Well said. And thank you for teeing me up. I'll just throw in here, although I'm not, this isn't really what this is about, but I'll just throw in here. If the Bible teachers that you seek out and put yourself under aren't teaching you how to obey God and removing from you your disobedience, which we all have, and calling it out and helping you see the places where you disobey and helping you to obey, you, you might want to consider getting a new raft of teachers. If all of your teachers do is they help you with your identity and feel better about yourself and feel the goodness of life and all of those things, those are fine things. They're not what Jesus told us to teach people about primarily. He said, I, teach them how to obey. Could I even go a step further and say, if yeah. all they do is encourage you to... Um, listen to the Lord's will for your life and, uh, you know, like figure out what your purpose is. We're big on purpose here. So I'm obviously not anti vision or purpose, but if they say, you know, get into your prayer room with the Lord and just enjoy his presence. And that's all you get from church. You might have a problem. You may, you may not be under somebody who knows how to teach obedience and Sound doctrine. Those are both important. Um, and I would say sound doctrine at the end of the day is all about uh, obedience to the king. We do spend an awful lot of time when we think of the way that we treat new believers. We spend a lot of time on them learning how to hear God's voice. Listen, that is a great skill. And that, I would even say, it's an important skill. 
It's not, however, what Jesus commanded us to teach people when he listed one thing to teach, teach them how to obey. Now he did say, teach them how to obey everything that I said. So there's a whole bunch in there, but I would say that it's sort of like you learn how to read and then you can read to learn. You have to learn how to obey and then you can obey all manner of things. And, and there's not much energy given to teaching people how to obey. Now, there's one primary relationship in life that is the primo um, platform for teaching people how to obey. Everyone has this relationship from the moment you're born. You don't have to go find them. There's a parent present at every birth. Um, ideally, there are two. And this is the relationship God created to teach you obedience from the word go. Um, I have much more to say about this later, but I'll just say for now, before a child is capable of even conceiving of an invisible God whose word they can obey, a child can conceive of a physical parent standing in front of them who is to be teaching them how to obey. And I would even say it is an on-ramp, it's office work for someone learning how to obey God's voice. I'll say more about that, not today. I'll say more about that later. I'll even throw in, if, if you don't know this, the Bible tells us that Jesus learned obedience. Did you know that? It's kind of a crazy thing to think because we we can assume that, well, he's perfect, so he's sinless. That's actually a better word um, than perfect for how Jesus came out of the womb. He came out sinless, but there were still things that he had to learn. And Hebrews 5 tells us that he learned obedience. That means that Mary and Joseph did a good job on this. They taught him how to obey. So which obedience are, are we after? I think it's helpful to 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 describe these because I think it outs some of our tendencies, which are immature. We've got one axis, which is love. Um, you can have very low love. You can have very high love. Think of this as devotion, you know, the kind of warm devotion. Oh, I, I want to please you. I want to be with you. Um, that's one axis. The other axis is submission, just the mechanical, I'll do what you say. So there can be low on the left is low on the right is high submission. So that gives us four quadrants. And so I ask, what kind of obedience are we after? Are we after, um, this is what my, my daughters are into right now. Are, are we after squishmallow obedience, which is very high devotion, very low submission. That is you know, I'm not going to make any demands of you. If you did, I, I, probably wouldn't be able to ha handle that because I'm low on submission, but high on love, very cozy, very warm. You're, this is, this is a buddy who I'm, I'm, you know, I want to be with you, but don't make it very taxing on me. That's kind of squishmallow obedience. What, what about the style where there's very low love and there's very low submission? I think of this as, if you will, maybe this is an imaginary character, but the dirty neighborhood kid that hates your guts and stomps on your foot and throws wrappers in your yard. This is, there's no love here. There's no submission. You could say, Hey, don't bounce that ball. And they're going to uh, talk back to you and 
keep going it, we into the wee hours of the nights. There's there's nothing there. What what we we can tend to be up on that top left, where we we want the cuddly love so bad that we won't demand any submission. But some families, you might know a couple of families like this that are in the opposite that lower right hand, where it's a very high submission. And the, the love and affection and devotion are actually really low. And that's more like there's a robot there, or you can think of a soldier. This, this is what many workplaces are like, which is just do the stuff, just complete the task, do what we said, and we'll worry about the little fuzzy feelings later. Um, I, I hope you can get the sense that high love and low submission is unhealthy. I hope you also, I think we probably intuit this better as Americans, that perfect submission, even if you do everything right and there's no love and devotion, that is incomplete and immature as well. We don't want either of those. We want this beautiful top right quadrant, which is high love and high submission. I would even go so far as to say we want perfect love and we want perfect submission. And, and anytime you're thinking of a parenting relationship, you can think, well, what, what you can ask yourself the question. If, if you're a parent of a, of a young child and you're thinking, I'm not sure how to navigate this. You can just ask yourself this question. What does it look like between me and God? And we know what he wants from us, which he wants total love and total obedience. And he wants us to obey the first time. So that's the quadrant that we want to be uh, in our relationship with him. We want to be having that top right quadrant. We also want that for our children. And I hope you hear the parallel here because we want to develop the obedience muscle in our kids that, that, that becomes so fine-tuned and so adept at instant obedience that when the day comes that we actually just hand them off to God, We've created a little human that is pristine in the way that they think about and execute obedience so that we can just hand them off to God. Well, you've been doing what I said perfectly. Now simply do what God says perfectly. And of course, there's a huge overlap there because we're obeying him as a family. And I'm teaching you how I obey and how you should obey as we go along. Okay, I'm going to shoot straight from that chart to another chart. What I love is to talk people through charts. So I, I'm forgive me for being uh, graphics heavy in this, but I've just found that as I meet with men and talk with them, having something visual to work with is very helpful. Obviously, you can imagine that chart in your mind as I was talking. If you're just listening, th this is th the same will be possible. It's a very simple chart. Just think of a target. Think of concentric circles. So I'm going to start um, just describing the priorities of life to you. And I, I think these will make sense to you, although I'm going to call out some incongruities with what we might hear popularly. Okay. The, the first most central priority of your life I'm putting in this middle circle is me and God. That's the most important thing of your whole life is where do I stand with God and how is my relationship with God? So if everything else in your whole life is going fantastic, 
but your relationship with God is totally jacked up, your life is jacked up. And the Bible says, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? So that's a huge thing. I think most people would would accept that. True enough. Me and God are the most important thing. So just build out from that. The, the next most important thing, and I know this sounds very basic, but we'll, we'll see where this is challenged. The next most important thing is your wife and your family. That's the next most important thing is how are you doing as a husband and a father? What is the culture of your home? Now, you might have heard me say before, I really think that this is challenged in modern culture as that this is an important thing. Um, even in the modern church, this is challenged as being, man, you could, you could compromise on that as long as you're getting other stuff done. Biblically, that's not true, that this belongs right where it is. And I'll just pad out this list before I make some more comments. The, the next circle out is, I know it sounds strange to combine these two things, but work and friends is that next shell, your work and your friends. They're one step beyond your household. They both matter. Um, but, and we could, we could talk about prioritizing. Sometimes you have to negotiate between those two things. So I just put those in one shell and then the shell outside of that, the fourth layer is all the other stuff. And in that, all the other stuff, I would put ministry, evangelism, um, your hobbies. I would put service in there, charity, just anything outside project would fall into that. What, what I want to focus on is this, this wife and family thing. So there's a couple of verses to just throw out at you. One is 1 Timothy 3. This is the description of, of an elder. We've looked at that passage in, in episodes past. But one thing it clearly says is that what you do in your family and under your home either qualifies you or disqualifies you from broader service. Number two. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if you don't provide for your own home, your, your household first, you're worse than an unbeliever. Now, if we were talking about the subject of work, we'd really jump on that verse. But I'll just throw in, there's clearly a priority that's being described here, which is you provide for your home first, and then we can worry about all the other stuff that you do. That, that that wife, that's why wife and family is right after that me and God thing, because the first layer of obedience for us comes in our home. Okay, third verse is Ephesians 6, 4. This is the passage, this is the, the this is a great like family passage where Paul's describing family relationships. He says, children, obey your parents. And then he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children, but train them up in the fear and obedience of God, the admonition of God's word. So what he's saying is, if I can just put overlap that with the Great Commission, he's saying make disciples out of your kids. Train, raise them up in the fear and admonition. Last thing I'll just, last verse I'll just throw in, Malachi 2.15 is, is a passage about marriage and divorce and how much God hates divorce. It's on our list to talk about divorce as well. I just have to throw in here, 
I have a list as long as my arm of things that we want to talk about on Abraham's wallet. And, you know, we just have to choose the things that we talk about. Um, and it's, and it's tough. We try to discern what's the most pressing thing that we gotta, we gotta get done. So after this passage where, where he talks about, um, uh, marriage and divorce, he says at the end of this little passage, Malachi two fifteen, it says, and because what was God after? So in this passage, we, if you ask the question, what is the point of marriage, Christian marriage? Here's the answer. God was looking for godly children. That's what it says. Looking for godly children. Is that, is that Malachi 2.15 passage still uh, applicable? Or would you say that was specific to a particular group and time? I'd say it's applicable right now. So godly offspring, would you say, is the purpose of marriage? Well, I, I set it up specifically to say, if you were asking that general question of this specific passage, this is that passage's answer to that question. So uh, no, it's an incomplete answer to say that's okay. the only purpose of marriage. I would go to places like Ephesians 5 to describe, I would say, the, the greatest purpose of marriage would be to re- to teach us what God's relationship is with us, to teach us how that works. Got it. Okay. Well, I was I was hoping maybe we were going to get a super hot sports take, but that's fine. I think sorry, here is more responsible. So onward. <laughs> so I just want to I just want to make this observation that if wife and family things aren't well working if they don't work the way that God wants them to. And a lot of times pain is a, is a great uh, pulse check for us on that. Then the, that category of all the other stuff, all of that goes away. Not, that is all irrelevant to the story. If wife and family is in question or if those things aren't being led the way that God wants. And I mean, I mean, everything from, what your investment portfolio looks like to what ministries at the church you're a part of all of that stuff goes out the window if if these central things are out of place my relationship with god my wife and family so these being their priorities and this is my setup to the big conclusion of the of the whole episode these being the priorities we have to ask this question if again, I'm putting these two charts together, okay, there's a specific kind of obedience that God wants because the great commission is to make disciples. It seems like the first place that we could possibly make disciples is one, me. I got to make a disciple out of me. That's the, that's number one. And number two is I have to make my family a disciple family. And if that's the case, then I got to ask this question. Oh God, how do we disciple our own children? That's the major question. So I think that's enough content for today just to get us to that question. We'll spend time later unpacking and talking about uh, other aspects of how do we do that. But I just want to say that for us as parents in a household is that the discipleship of our children is absolutely primary. You cannot say, well, you know, I've got one that seems to be doing good and I've got two that, well, they don't really care about God or our little family thing. But anyways, I've got some great stuff going on at the church that I'm working on. 
that is not that's not good so i've got a few questions that i'm going to kick you right now and you can either say we will be covering those in the future we won't be covering those or you can answer them all right number one um you said the the role as a parent is is primary and one thing i've seen in friends and acquaintances and just people i've observed is people who put that relationship with the spouse on the back burner especially in those little kid early childhood years and say we're just giving it all to kids and we're going to you know we'll deal with the the spouse relationship later and then i've also heard people that kind of come the complete opposite and say the only thing that matters is you and your spouse and you know that's where you focus all your energy um what do you, what would you say to those are, are those just ditches on the sides of the road or is is it the the relationship with your spouse the primary i, I have a thought but i'll let you go first yeah my answer to that thank you for bringing that up um I don't think that I said that your relationship with your children is primary. I think I said it is the primary place that God wants to teach us obedience. Okay. Um, is is from, from childhood that we're supposed to learn obedience from our parents. So my answer is that in your family, the definition of a family is a husband and wife. That's a family. So... Um, I don't think that you put your marriage on hold and go, we're just going to suffer through the childhood years and hopefully we can come out intact on the other end. Your marriage, it is the foundation of a family. So that thing always gets your best energy. And if you, if you've got, if you've only got enough money to either do a family going to the theme park or, um, um, date nights, you do date nights. Um, your, your marriage, everything that your family can become is built on the foundation of your marriage. So I would say that is never to be compromised. I I wouldn't say that, uh, you then ignore your children. Um, you, you exclude them because marriage is so important to you. No, a good marriage, just like a good relationship with God is so strong that all kinds of stuff gets built onto it. The way that God describes the kingdom of God in Luke somewhere is that it's like a huge tree and all of the birds of the field come and nest in that tree because it is so full. It can, it can have other, um, tenants, come live inside of it because it's so uh, big and, and capable. And that's what a marriage is like. Uh, a marriage that's strong, you can add children to it. You can add outsiders. You can add extended family. You can add projects. You can add money. You can add vision. You can add properties to that thing. And that marriage can, can take care of all those things if that marriage is strong. That's my very long answer. Yeah. Um, I would, I would, just reiterate and say the the peace inside a household generally emanates from the peace inside that initial relationship between you and your spouse yes um so if that's not there then you start even kids will pick up on sort of a fake 
a fakeness of other things that are being done. And I would argue that you can screw up the money thing. You can screw up work. Uh, you can mess up church. You can do a lot of, of stuff wrong there. But um, if you've got actual deep commitment to each other and Christ in that initial relationship, that will have so much bigger of an impact on how you're able to then disciple your kids. And if you don't, and you try to do the other stuff from a place that, that, that you're putting a veneer of everything's fine over the, the relationship with the spouse, then you will have kids eventually that go, this was fake because your relationship was fake and everything that we built in on top of that. Uh, I don't know if I buy it. So, yeah. Um, let, let me just throw, throw onto that, that if you have a troubled marriage and it's a struggle for you, that doesn't mean you're disqualified from training your children. No, 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 no. Um, the only other question I had was, I know there's people listening to this. Maybe they have adult kids who have walked away from the oh, Lord. Oh, sure. There's people listening. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's why we're recording it. There's yeah. people listening. The, I'm, I'm sp- speaking of specific people. Oh, 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 oh Perhaps okay. they have adult children who have walked away from the Lord. Or perhaps they are going through the the ringer right now and kind of saying, well, I don't know. We don't know exactly where we're going wrong here. We are not out to say that that you can follow our formula and everything will go exactly as we promise it will go. Um, and I think that there can be a lot of condemnation that gets dumped on people okay. for anything. We could be talking about marriage. Yep. We could be talking about money. We can be talking about parenting. And uh, at the end of the day, just like you can be the worst parents in the world and end up with uh, wonderful, saved disciples of Christ, um, I don't think you can you can completely control where someone's heart goes um, as a parent. So I don't know. I just want to make some space to acknowledge that at very least. But if you'd okay. like to answer it, then... Well, it's it's certainly a good point that anytime you wade into these waters, people are going to um, feel condemned. That that's I've been doing this long enough to know that 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 that's the case. Um, it's kind of like when we did the um, the Abrahamic steps to greatness. Is anywhere along that path you could you could fall into con- condemnation and go? Well, I, I didn't do that in my twenties, so all is lost. Um, and so, please don't hear our heart is not pointing fingers. I'm thinking more of a brand new dad who's trying to start putting the pieces together of how his family works. That's where I'm coming from, and and young men who are struggling through the way the family works. That's how I'm, that's what I'm thinking is let me just draw a diagram for you. The only thing that I would say to your um, imaginary scenario is that I would encourage somebody if they're looking at a teen, for instance, and they go, um, boy, if I had to be honest, um, I I am not creating an, um, a, a child who's, who loves the Lord, who is obedient to God, but they're cleaning their room. When I say, then I would, my one piece of feedback would be the scripture says you raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, not just obedient to your voice, but you raise your children to obey God's voice. 
And so that would include, well, we read the scriptures. We're all on the hook, kids, when we read this scripture. So we're all going to obey this. And so you walk your children through the steps of obedience to God, because we want to be very diligent about weaving that into the family identity, hmm. that our family, this is what we do so that you would have to effectively, I don't mean, I don't, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not ever encouraging anybody to throw their children out of, out of uh, their family, but you would have to effectively walk away from our family if you walked away from God, because we're training you in the obedience of God. That's what our family is like. This is what our family does. And the assumption is we're just going to raise you to keep on walking all the days of your life in this stuff. So I know that's a big kettle of fish we just stuck our hand into. Okay. Yeah, I do like that. I like as somebody who takes the advice of Justin from a few episodes ago and reads the Bible to my kids before our meals. Um, I like the idea of saying, now we're not reading this as a moral touchstone just to all feel good about it. We're reading this because we're getting our instructions from the king. That's right. It's on me as the leader of this house to, to disseminate this and it's on you to obey it. Um, I like that it's kind of high responsibility, high, ch- high, both challenge and invitations, uh, sort of what you were talking about at the beginning. That's right. All right. Well, we will pick up this discussion next time and continue into the chewy uh, details of discipling our children. Sweet. Until then. <laughs>